Hi, this is Eric Singer of KISS, and you're listening to Podkissed. All right, KISS Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be Podkissed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podkissed. My name is James Hager. Tonight on Podkiss, we will be taking a look at the rest of the Alive albums, Alive 3, Alive 4, and the Millennium Concert. Unfortunately, due to a death in my family, I could not take part in the making of these episodes. However, Gary, Ken, and a host of other guests went on and brought you a great roundtable discussion. Here and there, I will interject with my thoughts on the production, the songs, and the record themselves. So thank you, Gary and Ken, for keeping the show going and making this happen, and thank you, the Podkiss listeners, for listening. And without further ado, our roundtable discussion of the Alive Albums. Hi, welcome to your podcast. This is Gary, and with me is Ken, and we have a very special guest. We're going to have a, uh, two tonight, actually. Um, one who's famous, and he has been on the show before, and he's awesome. So say a big hello to Joe Casey, acclaimed comic book writer and all-around good guy and longtime KISS fan. Joe, say hi to the podcast audience. Aloha. Joe and I had hey. the pleasure of uh, bumping into one another at WonderCon, which was a, a comic, sci-fi, uh, smart, cool people convention um, in San Francisco. <laughs> it was just that pleasurable, wasn't it? It was really, it was full of smart and cool people. And um, back in April, it was good to see you, and I'm glad we got you on the show again, because um, we got a lot to talk about, and you're always good to talk to. So we have... Um, me, Ken, and Joe, and uh, we would have James, a.k.a. Ferk. Um, unfortunately, he's actually not able to be here tonight. His grandmother's not doing well, and we hope that his grandmother gets better soon. So um, what we're going to be doing tonight is to continue our uh, celebration of the Alive albums. We did Alive 1, we did Alive 2, then we took a brief break because we lost Bill of Coin, and um, now we're back on track, and we're going to be taking it off with uh, Alive 3 from 1993. And that's a record that I'm very fond of. But I got a lot to say about Alive 3, but I want to go first, Ken, since you're sort of our, uh, since you're the Kiss fan of the three of us here who's been a Kiss fan the longest, I'm wondering what your perspective is on that record. Well, uh, it didn't come with tattoos. Right. That's that's the first thing wrong with it. No, um, actually, it's a great album by a great lineup, and I recommend very much that anyone uh, liking this album that they pick up the 2006 Alive box set because uh, it had the extra track was added back into it, uh, Take It Off and uh, also it, it, the, the remastering sounds great and it was something that needed to be done Right. Now did you see them on this tour? Yes. Okay, so we're talking about the Revenge Tour in 92. How about you, Joe? I didn't see him on the Revenge Tour. I was living in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and oddly enough, it was the one sold-out show on that tour, uh, and Paul Stanley apparently was sick and did not make the show, so there was no show. In fact, I think that they actually had the show. I think the opening act was Great White, and Great White played anyway, which yeah. I thought was odd. I know I didn't show up for it, so... Um, yeah, it was bizarre. It was it was really it was the only Kiss tour 
since Lick It Up that I missed. Wow. And that's, yeah, just because they didn't play. I was, I was down, ready to go, and, and uh, Paul Stanley was a no-show on a sold-out show, which, as we all know, on the Revenge Tour was uh, a rare occurrence indeed. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I saw Which that is was sad. Time, but yeah, it was, yeah. Did you have Joe the same uh, reaction that I had to Revenge, which was just like, "Wow, I can't believe how good they sound." Um, I like that record a lot. I, you know, it was the first nostalgia button that they pushed. I felt well, aside from the Hot in the Shade tour, which is a whole nostalgia button pushing fest, but getting Bob Ezrin back. You know, I remember reading about it in some Kiss newsletter that I got at the time, and I and you know they said they're getting back in with Bob Ezra, and that was exciting. Right. And then, you know, the record was great. And, you know, I remember reading a, 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 an article in Entertainment Weekly that was had a, like a feature on Kiss, and it talked about how you know Gene was coming back to the forefront because the first single was Unholy and all that stuff, and that was all kind of cool. I mean, obviously they were you know, rededicating themselves. I mean, Gene Simmons especially would go do interviews where he was, it was like confession for that guy. He just would go anywhere that would listen to him and say how, you know, absent he was in the eighties. And then, you know, he was back and kisses 24 seven now. And right. look at this goatee. I'm, I've grown to prove it. And, <laughs> you yeah, know, it, did it was look good. Like that. It was a good time. I mean, it was, it was like that perfect straddling of the fence of like keying into their core fan base, but also, you know, they were, they, they still were writing what I felt was pretty contemporary, vital music for that genre, for their genre. So good record. Yeah. And I remember they were really pouring it on hard with the, the tough guy image. In fact, that was the first time I saw kiss live was in 1992. And I'd been a fan for, uh, over 10 years. Um, but I was a senior in high school. I was finally sort of able to scrounge up some money and, and go with some friends and, and, um, uh, it was glorious, and you could have, you could have told me that there were a million people there or five, and it wouldn't have made a difference just because they were. That's how good they sounded and looked. Um, I remember that every other word out of Paul's mouth was the f bomb when he was talking, um, <laughs> and that you know that was sort of I think Kiss doing like a we're not playing, we're not a kids band anymore thing. Ken, did you see them in Cleveland? No, I wish I had saw them in Pittsburgh. Uh, it was one of the few times that I didn't go to Cleveland. I'm centrally located uh, between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which some people might say that's a good thing. Some people might say it's a bad thing. But uh, the Richfield Coliseum was was a great place to see Kiss, and it just wasn't in the cards for me to, to go there. So if you're centrally located between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, then you're probably at some of those shows where Paul says, you know, last night we played Pittsburgh, and you're supposed to boo. Boo. Do you ever, yeah, do you exactly. Ever, you ever sit there and go, but but wait, I. I'm... Well, my first uh, multiple show was the Lick It Up tour, right? And that was the first time that I found out that Gasp, Kiss told Poughkeepsie that they were the best, you know, uh, audience in the world, but then they told. <laughs> you know, upper and lower Schlossberg that they were the best audience in the world. And, you know, and then there is like the sports team rivalries, like you mentioned, for example, Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. So yeah, it was that sort of thing all the time. Right. Showbiz baby. That's true. 
Um, now, the, the reason I bring Cleveland up is, of course, we're talking about the Alive records, and uh, Cleveland was one of the nights that they recorded, or quote-unquote recorded, uh, Kiss Alive 3. Now, I say quote-unquote for obvious reasons. We talked about this with Alive 1. We talked about it a lot more with Alive 2. Um, but then, you know, with Alive 3, there's really the question of, is it a live record? How much so? What do you guys think? I think that uh, it was probably more alive than the first two, all told. That's my opinion. Um, but who knows? You know, these things—you never know these things for sure. But right. that, I, I would say that I would say they were uh, probably more on it. I mean, they they had two, you know, two alive records to kind of learn from, and you know, they were they videotaped, you know, the Detroit show, and they used some stuff from that. So. I think that was probably of the three it's it's probably the most live you know i don't think there's a paul stanley vocal on there that's live but right you know. my, uh, my my guess if i had to um you know if i had to make a guess would be that um a lot of it, it comes from rehearsals or sound checks and that it is the band playing live but like you said the vocals are probably um you know added later and I do remember walking out of the concert that I saw after the concert was over. I didn't walk out, if you know what I mean. Uh, leaving the concert in 92 saying, they could have just put that on a disc and called it a live three, and, and it would have been great, because that's how tight they were. Um, and I want to play a little bit of Cleveland 92 right now, because I want people to hear Paul Stanley clearly has his mind on a live three. He even makes an announcement about it, so give this a listen. I remember reading in magazines uh, when they would do interviews about Alive 3 before there was an Alive 3. And they were asked this question over and over again throughout the years before Alive 3. You know, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? As it got closer, once they had the Revenge album and the Revenge tour started, they were talking about Alive 3 in, in fairly lofty terms that it would be a big package with a lot of goodies added to it. What do you guys think of the product itself? Well, um, I'll take this one. Like I mentioned earlier, it didn't have the tattoos. It, when you were reading uh, interviews leading up to it, you were expecting basically a live two again. You know what I'm saying? Packaging-wise. And uh, Joe mentioned that there was a nostalgic tug of the heart, if you will. And yeah, I did slip into Gene there just a little bit. In a very but, real uh, at the end of the day, in a very real way, it's a real <laughs> emotional tug of the heart. Can I say? Can I say that? Is that okay, Joe? Anyway, um, but they, they got Eddie Kramer to come back. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you talk right. about um, whether it's how live it is or whatever, we'll have to wait till um, VH1 show on how cool the Revenge lineup was, and he can come on the show and said that it was all him. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll find out then. But uh, Eddie, Eddie seems to take a little bit more credit because as you – as you play some of it, like like you just play that bit from Cleveland, it doesn't sound that far off from what actually wound up on the album. 
No, it doesn't. The, the same thing happened with the Alive 1 and Alive 2 albums where Eddie basically talked how he reconstructed everything and nothing but the drums were live, this, that, and the other thing. And we've heard things since then that basically uh, do not support that 100%. I mean, I can see where he's coming from. Right. He did but, a lot of work in the studio, that's for sure. Yes, but, he did. Yeah. He absolutely did. Yeah. But that you have to do that with any album. Right. But, uh, you know, the raw material was there. Has anyone ever, uh, this is this is way inside, but has anyone ever noticed on the Kissology 3, the, the Revenge, you know, the Detroit show that they videotaped for the Kiss Confidential, that uh, of, out of, of all people... It, and they had the camera on it, which is the best part. Like, they didn't edit this out, sort of video-wise. During Domino, Eric Singer, he, he messes up. He's got, he has, like, a little thing that he, he misses a, a snare. He misses a – I think he thinks one part's coming up and another part's coming up, and there it is, like, right on camera. <laughs> Poor Eric. Well, well, well yeah. with, with the talent he has, he, he can take it. Right. Well, I'm just shocked that he made a mistake in the first place. Exactly. I mean, Flip up, especially when the camera's on him. I don't want to geek out too much, but I just saw Kiss in Pittsburgh, uh, what, a week ago or something like that, Gary? Yeah. And uh, anyone not seeing this current tour, I don't want to venture into a big thing, but I'm telling you, you have to go see this tour. If it's coming around you, you have to go see it. Eric Singer is just amazing. And, you know, you would think that seeing him from Revenge on up to now and even going back further to the night I met him, actually, when he was on the Paul Stanley tour in Cleveland in 89, you would think that I've seen every little trick that Eric Singer can do with those drumsticks. But I haven't. The guy still blows me away. Amazing stuff. So. Well, speaking of Eric Singer, I want to play this. This is from the first KISS concert that I saw, which was Meadowlands, New Jersey, 1992. I, you know, I believe that if you, if someone wants to take the time to analyze that did, 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 did stuff, I think that there's Morse code for something. I don't know what it is, but, you know, there's something, something going on there. I think it's Morse code for these strippers aren't really that hot, but Gene wanted to do it. Throwing Gene under the bus. At the, <laughs> at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, 
<laughs> I, wanna, I just want to get back for a second to the to the question of the the package, not the music, but the packaging for Alive Three. You know, hard to compare or hard to compete, I guess, with Alive One and Two. But when Alive Three came out, what did you guys think of the actual packaging? I was just glad to to have a new Alive album from a very cool lineup. It was okay. It was, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to compete. I mean, those first two record, those first two live records. Just the covers alone are so iconic, right? And um, so I don't, I don't, you know, and I you just really can't say that about Kiss Live Three, the cover, right? It's cool, um, and it, you know, I mean, it does the job, but it just, it's just not iconic. But that has more to do with the fact that you know, the first two records I bought when I was eight, and they like burned themselves into my brain, at, you know, at a very young impressionable age. That's 23 when Alive 3 came out. You know, nothing was going to burn into my cynical brain at 23. Right. Not only that, you're dealing with compact disc versus the gatefold, the the tour book like yeah. uh, booklet that came with it, the tattoos, everything. Right, 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 right. I have to say that I got had the cassette, so it was even less so than a CD package. I thought they looked great, and I thought that the music was just you know, outstanding. And it was a great souvenir for me of, of having been to my first KISS concert. But, you know, you're right. It doesn't have the iconic uh, feel. And not only that, but they didn't use, you know, little things, you know, they didn't use the stencil font for, for the word alive like they did on the first two and like they have on the subsequent two. When, when this record came out, Gene and Paul went on Headbangers Ball and, and did an interview with Ricky Rack when they were talking about Alive 3. They were, they were pumping, pimping the album. They pimped it everywhere, actually. They went on the old Howard Stern interview show on E! and pimped it there. and They did a real press blitz for this thing. But um, I remember Gene saying that his original notion of the track listing was no makeup era songs, or at least no songs that appeared on Alive and Alive 2. And uh, I'd go back and forth on whether or not they made the right call. I think, obviously, commercially, you know, they probably felt like they had to put Rock and Roll All Night, Detroit Rock City, um, I Love It Loud, but really, there's only four songs that uh, were on, you know, earlier records, which right. is less than I remember. Uh, I thought it was at least six, but then, you know, you look at the track and you go, wow, it's only four, and I always think, okay, what what would I have swapped out to um, make the record more in line with, you know, a re, you know, sort of the tradition of, you know, alive, alive two, and alive three. Well, right. Joe, let's uh, let's Joe, let's let's run those four tracks down. There's Deuce, I was made for loving you. No, no, no. not a few. Oh, 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 so so you're saying okay, okay. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not okay. So the question Detroit is Rock City, Rock and Roll Night, Deuce. And watching you. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. Now, they played a whole heck of a lot of stuff that was on Alive 1 and Alive 2 and didn't make it to Alive 3. But what we're talking about, I guess, is not just from the, from the non-makeup years, but basically any songs that they could put on that record and did put on that, that record. That, that, that never made it on Alive or Alive 2. Exactly. Well, that, I mean, uh, to, to be, I mean, really, though, that discounts every makeup era song. I mean, they certainly weren't playing songs that did not appear on either one of those records. 
that I remember. What, um, what, what do you mean? Well, they didn't. I mean, they didn't play, for instance, uh, some album cut from Love Gun. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I see what you're saying. Right, right, right. Sure, 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 sure. So there, there, there was not in their repertoire playing. I mean, any any old song that that, that originated with the with the makeup years that they played all through the '80s. Right. You could find on a live or a live too. Yes. What I'm saying is, what what four songs did you switch out that they played in the '80s? that did not appear on, on those two records. Okay. They played Tears Are Falling. Yes, and they, that's and, a good one. Right, and they and of course that didn't make it to the record. Uh, I, I would have loved All Hell's Breaking Loose. That would have been great. That would have been great. I think uh, for the sheer amount of times they played it, almost to the point of... Fits like, like a glove? It, well, that one and War Machine. Right. Yeah, you're right. Wow. And they did play that. I mean, they did play at the show. They played War Machine. They played Tears Are Falling. In fact, um, we could listen right now. This is Tears Are Falling from Cleveland. And in fact, Paul begins it with a little spiel about, you know, we're doing the record, the live album. And if, and if it ain't good tonight, it's not going on the record. I thought it sounded pretty good, but give it a listen. What do you think? Here's a song. We haven't done this song yet in the last two shows. Tonight's our only chance to get it on the record. We're going to try our best. We're going to need you to help us on this one. If we don't get it tonight, it ain't going on the album. You're going to have to sing with us. Are you going to sing? All right, here goes.
I love how they start that out, by the way. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Now, that's three songs that we m- mentioned. Now, what the fourth that you could slot in there, that's kind of a wild card because there's, you know, there's not, I mean, if we're saying Tears Are Falling, War Machine Fits Like a Glove. Crazy then, Nights. Crazy Nights isn't on there. Yeah, but they Reason to Live. It, I, I, know, I, I know they were going tough, guy, but although, I'm just saying if you look at sheer amount of quote-unquote hits, right. you figure one of those would have hit it. That's not a bad point. I didn't even think about the crazy night stuff. I was thinking more like, see, this is where I think of something like on a live too. They put tomorrow and tonight on there, which is a song they never played live, as far as I know, at any show. Right. Total sound check song that they put on the record. So it makes you think, okay, what are like some things like? I mean, you could say that they have done. Could they put all night on there, or under the gun, or. Get All You Can Take, Analyze, which they played live a couple times, you right. know. There's some cool stuff that still would have fit in there, you know, Ken said, the sort of the tough guy. Thank young you. and Wasted. I'd love to hear Young, young and Wasted. Young and Wasted with Eric Singer singing it. Wow, that well, would have been okay. cool. Here's the other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about this. On some days, I think that they waited one studio record too late to do a live three it kind of feels weird that it's you know it's a live three they waited you know 13 years or however long it was about 15 years and that it's not eric carr playing drums you know it's like a guy a live three with a guy that was in the band for a year now as great as eric singer is that still feels kind of weird to me well that's that's something i wanted to mention earlier that basically this lineup this is like one of the first things they did, right? Yeah. I mean, think about it. How many how many lineups uh, record one album and then do a live album? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, I mean, so. it, maybe it's a testament to how good this lineup was. They didn't need a lot of road testing. They, I mean, just so ridiculously tight from go. You know, so good but, from from the minute they stepped on stage. On the other hand, you know, Eric Carr had a legacy with that band. And the Carr Kulik lineup was something that was beloved to a lot of people, and it was around for a long time. Now, Still is. Yeah, absolutely. I love that was, lineup. And he was such a special drummer in terms of his style. I mean, he to me, he was like the 80s Keith Moon. Right. And to have heard his drums, because I, I actually, you look at those bootlegs, and not even the bootlegs, the stuff on Kissology, the live stuff, his drum sound was so weird. And, you know, I would have loved to have heard sort of Eddie Kramer version. Yeah, yeah, the Eddie Kramer version of Eric's drums on record. Um, that I feel like we, you know, <clears throat> we definitely missed out on that. It's almost like it seemed like the Hot in the Shade tour was leading up to this anyway. It, right. it yeah. almost, I almost wonder if they got to the point where like, look, this is what we should be doing. We should be doing this again. And I wonder how available Eddie Kramer was, or you know, at, at, at which point they said we should really do this. And go for it. All right, let's rectify this then, shall we? Here's here's fits like a glove, soundboard recording from 1988, with, and you won't find this on uh, Kissology three or two, or any of the Kissologies. I believe this is from Germany, uh, 1988, and this is sort of a what a coulda, 
Maybe a show. Is this a Monsters of, is this a Monsters of Rock show? Yeah. You got it. Look oh. at you. Nice Look at show. you. Awesome. Not is just it? a comic book professional, but a Kiss fan. Well, I'm just, uh, it just, it pains me to have that vision of Paul Stanley's body glove wardrobe and that Steinberger thing he was playing on stage. Yeah, I would have preferred the strippers. So this is, uh, <laughs> so the, this is Fits, uh, Fits Like a Glove from Germany, 1988. Of course, of, of, of course there are poly girls who would argue that. Just throwing that in there. Well, then they'll enjoy this. Okay. Deutschland, wie geht's? Alles gut? Yeah, when I go through her, it's just like a hot night.
Alive 3 of the five Kiss Alive albums is probably my favorite in terms of set list. The set list is incredible from Creatures of the Night all the way to the Star Spangled Banner. Um, the production, not always my favorite. I think the hi-hats mix a little too high. That's a little too present, kind of overbearing at times. I understand that I Was Made For Loving You was a big hit and they wanted to put it on there. So even though it wasn't from an actual live show, I can understand why they put it on the record. I Still Love You, on the other hand, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Great song, but I think they would have been a lot better off to choose a song like Tears Are Falling or Crazy Crazy Nights. A song that people would have uh, recognized from the period of uh, 77 through 93. As a radio hit, something that could have helped sold more albums. I don't know that I Still Love You sold more albums. Sounds great on the record, but um, I would have chose maybe a different song there. If I would have had my way, I would have taken off everything that had been played on the prior two Kiss Alives and played more from the era that they were representing. I understand why they didn't do that. It was 93, they were trying to sell records, the classics sell. But for my own personal enjoyment, that's what I would have done. So we got on the phone my brother, who is in New York right now, and we won't keep him too long because he's got a he's entering his second year of medical school. So in honor of you, we're going to play Calling Dr. Love, but we'll do that later. By the time Alive 4 came around, you had not only become a KISS fan, but you had seen them seven times, six times? Yep. I remember... Uh... I remember the the, uh, the years waiting for a live four to come out. First, it was going to be one thing, and then it turned out to be something completely different. Right. Right. The uh, it wasn't going to be that symphony, the symphony uh, record first. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was originally when we started hearing about a live four. This was right around the same time that they announced that they were going to do the farewell tour. Right. Right. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on uh, is because uh, James can't make it tonight, and we've got. I'm probably the second youngest KISS fan of the bunch here. Joe's been a KISS fan. Joe, you were, you became a KISS fan when? Uh, 77. Okay. And Ken, 75, right? Yes, I'm the oldest. Go ahead. Right, right, right. right. So we have Oldie Olderson and Joe and myself. <sighs> and Brian, I guess you became a KISS fan. Um, well, you saw them for the first time on the Psycho Circus Tour. That's right. Right. So 2000 rolls around. Right, and they announce that they're going to do a live four. And things don't work out like that, right? We, we see them on the farewell tour. It's great, good times, good times. And then Peter's gone. Eric Singer comes in. And things are just what's going on up in the air. And it's the farewell tour that never ends. Um, now we have this kind of retcon uh, story. Maybe it's true. I don't know that it was the farewell tour for the original lineup. Didn't feel like that for me. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I got the sense that it was farewell or no farewell. There were no caveats. I would agree with that. I mean, you can hear if you listen to Paul's commentary on the Kissology Three. I mean, he claimed that that's what he thought too. Right. So I, I took him at the word. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you. Here's a showbiz story for you. Um, Another guy, the guy who helped me uh, connect with Gene to get the KISS comic gig is this guy, Jeff Lowe. He's another comic book writer, and he just got promoted to head of Marvel TV, whatever. Wow. Uh, and he's known Gene for a long time. He wrote Commando for Gene originally and all that stuff. Um, so he had this birthday party, and this was either, I forget when his birthday is, late 99 or early 2000. And uh, so I go over to his house. And, you know, 
I, I have no idea who's going to be there. I walk in and on literally, I think playing foosball is Gene Simmons and Shannon Tweed. And then it all kind of clicked. Oh yeah, Jeff knows Gene and all this kind of stuff. And this was before the um, the the, Ki- the Kiss comic. This was about a year before I hooked up for that. Let, so, let's also mention that it was the Kiss comic for Dark Horse that you're referencing. Right. Yeah. So we're talking about so, like 2000, 2001. Uh, no, it was 2000. It was because they hadn't started the, the farewell tour yet. Okay. okay. Because I remember, uh, you know, I was talking to Gene a little bit, and this is the first time I'd met him, and. And uh, but he was it was way chill. I mean, it was not he was not on like he is all the time now. And so I and I'm trying to hang. I was like 29 years old or uh, yeah, 29 years old. I'm trying to hang and say, hey, how's it going, Gene? Uh, how's it? You know, what's what's up with the band and everything? And he tells me, well, we're going on the our farewell tour. And the way he said it was kind. Of, he had this kind of he kind of tossed it off like. Yes, our farewell tour. Here we go. Like very, like, like I was in the know from a show business point. Of, like, this could be the farewell. This might not be the farewell. Um, but in retrospect, what was telling is, I'm pretty sure that they played that New Year's show in what was it, Vancouver or whatever, wherever they were going to originally record a live four. And that he didn't mention that at all. I mean, that was not on his radar of, you know, projects in the pipeline, which in retrospect, I think was very interesting. I mean, I guess they recorded that show and then didn't think much of it or just, just I don't know why they decided not to put that out. It seemed like it was have gone well with the farewell tour in terms of like product. I've like, always heard uh, that the record company basically said it's not up to snuff. That, I believe, but also I think that it's, um, you know, I I think part of it was that Peter was gone. You know, I mean, it could have come out, it could have come out earlier. I mean, initially I saw track listings that had Hard Luck Woman on it, and that's just BS because, uh, I mean, Brian, we we saw them several times on those tours. We never saw them play Hard Luck Woman, right? No, no. Well, no one ever yeah, saw I, them play Hard Luck Woman back in the 70s either, so... Oh, Sorry. But they did, but they did play it in the 70s. I have to, I have to right. jump right. in there twice, right. but they played it. And I, I, by the way, there's a, there's a, somewhere, if I find it, there's a Hit Parader magazine with a review of a Live 4 as a record that oh had come God. out. Yeah, so You've just, got to find that and read that. Yeah, I'd love oh, to. Wow. That was classic. But, um, yeah, so uh, Peter left, and... You know, when we get around to it, we should talk about uh, what became of that album because it eventually did come out, and and I have, uh, I'm sure we all have thoughts and feelings about it. But then the farewell tour, you know, ended, or really more appropriately, did not end. And that was the time when the when your comic book came out, Joe. Yeah. That sort of limbo we talked about last time between the farewell tour and and Alive Four. So then right. Kiss Kiss her on this kind of hiatus. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's on. There's this concert that they're doing, and it's going to be in Melbourne with a symphony, and it may or may not have Ace. And, Brian, this is where I sort of wanted to bring you on for your recollections because I feel like at this point you were already very much a KISS fan, but it was also kind of a time you were in high school, and um, there was a lot kind of going on with KISS. So what what do you remember about that time? Uh, Yeah, I remember going to that last uh, Third Hall Store concert we went to at uh, Meadowlands. And uh, there not really being any 
or feeling like there was not really any closure on the situation, and we had sort of speculated about whether it would actually seriously be a farewell tour. And I think we had such faith in, in, in them being upfront about it that we kind of decided that, that was it, that we probably wouldn't see them again. And then this Alive, Alive 4 never came, and I remember just kind of waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it and, and, and almost forgetting that I was waiting for it anymore and then seeing the the, uh, the uh, Kiss Symphony, the, the posters for it, and, and then seeing the LP for it. And just being so excited about that as, you know, the, the first and only LP I've ever bought that was brand new on the shelves. And I, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. Wow. Um, but it was so exciting just putting that on and getting to hear the, you know, hear a new Kiss album on vinyl for the first time and, and never really thought I would have that experience. It was great. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask a question of everyone in the room? Did anybody but me cry on the farewell tour? Am, am, am I the only softie here? No, I cried. Oh, so then you you two felt the tug of the heart. Yes, yes, Gene. Okay. Yes, um, but I remember the last time I saw them on the farewell tour because I saw a couple because it was one of those got to get them while they're here kind of things. I just I just I was sick as a dog, but I had to go to this show and it was Erie, Pennsylvania, and I just it just I remember Paul did that speech where he said, you know, don't don't forget us, we will never forget you. You tell everyone that it was true, that that this legend was real, and I just it it to me almost felt like the end of the Kiss experience to me, and and I actually cried. I did too. I will never believe that it was a hundred percent fake. It didn't feel fake. In fact, Brian, you and I made a sign that appears in the in the uh, in the last Kiss uh, thing that they filmed on on Kissology. It's on Kissology, right? I mean, our sign is there on that metal sure, show. Right on. Say thank you, thank you for 27, 27 great years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We passed it up. Some guys held it up, which was really cool. I remember seeing it on the screen. Yeah. I, I remember none of, like Ken is saying, none of the emotions felt fake. I'm going to be the cynic here. I'm going to burst everybody's bubble. Okay. So I, I, I did not cry, and this is why. I saw them in Anaheim at the Duck Pond uh, on this on the farewell tour. That was the show that I saw. And several things happened that made that show yes. memorable. One was, if I recall, Gene's flight rig didn't work. Uh, number two, Paul's flight rig didn't work. And number three, well, right before he was going to do the flight rig, he, I, my seats were right behind the soundboard. And so when he did that whole rap about I'm only going to come out there if you want me out there. And he was doing that sort of by applause meter kind of thing. And the meter comes up on the screen, on the big screen behind him. Well, just right down below from where I was sitting was the applause meter with a camera. <laughs> and I saw the guy turning the dial, to, I mean, you know, to, you know, to showbiz, baby, you know, to make it, you know, get it goes up a little bit, then it goes up a little more, then it goes up a little more. Then he goes, all right, I'm coming out. Of course, he... He goes out about 10 feet, and uh, they have to pull him back. They, st they stop the song. You know, Joe, hang on a second. I'm sorry. Let me get this straight. Are you saying that it wasn't a real applause meter? Hard to believe, I know. I know. Hard to believe. But it's true. But, I mean, I, it's one thing to look at it on if you're at the concert and go, come on, that's cheesy. But it's another thing to actually see the guy... <laughs> Cranking the dial, you know, right 
10 feet from you. Hang on, Brian, when you saw them at Madison Square Garden last year. <laughs> the the miserable, miserable man standing and rotating Paul's platform with his head down so he wouldn't have it uh, knocked off by one of the bars that he was pulling on to uh, turn Paul Stanley around. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really think he was enjoying, uh, <clears throat> enjoying that as much as everyone else was. Was he? If you hadn't been sitting yeah. close by, would that have been visible? Would that have been visible? I, I don't know. Probably not. We were, we were right next to it. Um, yeah. You told me he looked like. I, he I don't, I, I don't know. You told me he looked like he was ready to keel over. <laughs> yeah, he, he did not. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's tough work spending Paul Stanley in a circle for. For three and a half minutes. I was going to say, remember the beginning of Conan the Barbarian where he yes. put on the wheel of pain? <laughs> the laminations of the women. Is that like and the, is that the my time? enemies before me. You like the time-lapse photography where they show him aging as he goes around in a circle? Yeah. Yes, and, his and, legs and, getting bigger and bigger. And there's this pit that he's been walking in, right. you know. That's but he doesn't get any shorter because he's getting taller at the same time. You know, Joe, what, what really bothered me is, is not, not the illusion-shattering story of the guy turning up the applause meter, but the fact that you ruined it, that, Paul, that it wasn't actually Paul Stanley flying. Oh, like that there's a rig? Yeah, I didn't oh. know. I didn't know until now. <laughs> oh, that's sad. <laughs> Curse you, Joe Casey. Curse you. But you know what we should play? Let's play the uh, recording because um, one of the greatest things that happened as a result of it, I believe, was that Gene sang Love Gun. That's just oh, fantastic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And if Gene can't hardly remember his own songs. Oh, he was, he was singing in tongues, you know, so to speak. Yeah, this is priceless. Here, give this a listen. All right, so Alive 4 comes out, and it's this symphony show. And, and Brian, you and I had a cool experience. We got to meet them and greet them in New York City. I remember waiting online for a long time. I remember uh, I remember a guy dressed up as a banana. We later found a uh, CC banana mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting, waiting on, online with us. Um, that was sort of a fun thing to watch. Um, I remember telling people who were asking us what we were lined up with, we were waiting for Carrot Top. Brian, we saw an older woman. I mean, this was... A middle-aged or older woman. Oh, I, 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 I it was just Ace Freshly. Ace Freshly, yes. There was a woman who was had it, to be. Yeah, sure. Yeah, probably about seventy years old. Yeah. She was there to see Ace Freshly, so that was interesting. Now you guys laugh, but Ace Freshly 
was the original Kiss guitarist that picked, handpicked by Joseph Kiss Sr. That's right. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and, you know, people talk about Tommy wearing Ace's former makeup, but uh, Gene and Paul actually had uh, Ace Fraley use um, Ace Freshly's name. That's right. So, well, you know. if you, were, you remember, it, wasn't, it was actually his real name was Paul Freshly. Let's yes, but Paul they Freshly. had to change it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I thought what I remember about Alive Three or Alive Four, which I thought was funny, is you know at the end of the farewell tour, Peter Lee's and Eric Singer comes in and puts on the makeup and and uh, they finish out the Pacific Rim part of that tour, which at the time you're like I you know I was like partially incredulous that he put on the the, the cat makeup, but beyond that it felt like history just repeating itself all over again you know the three other guys and a, and a drummer named eric you know we've been there we've seen that before right. then with but then you know get alive four you've got you know gene paul peter and you know tommy that was a dynamic that i remember going I, this is weird this is now starting to get into weird territory here and that's was, actually my least favorite lineup by the way is it really yeah you see, something just doesn't seem right about it. Now, now, see, I, I got now, I got to be the dissenting voice. Although I, 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 I don't know. I suspect Brian, you might agree with me here. Um, we saw them really an ungodly number of times that year, 2003. I think we saw them five times in, in a, in, over the course of about three months, maybe. And yeah. part of it was just that we were so excited because it wasn't over. You know, there was still a, a, a breath of hope that this band could continue. I thought Tommy sounded great. I thought they looked awesome. They lost a bunch of weight. They had the kind of retro alive dress to kill uh outfits they were wearing. And I will I will go to my grave saying that that was some of the best Peter Chris drumming I ever heard. I mean, it felt rejuvenated. I don't remember they sounded great. I mean, I I I think I think honestly at that at that point and especially at that point in my life, uh, like being in high school <laughs> not being excited about a whole lot of music that was going on. I, they could have done anything. They could have, you know, they could have played the same song five times in a row. I would have been happy with it. Um, Don't tell I, them that. I, they I, they I, may do that. <laughs> I know they'll do it. <laughs> um, I, I, I remember being great. This was the Aerosmith tour that you guys are talking about, seeing them on a bunch of times? Yeah. Yeah. See, that to me, that's the, to me, that's the lost tour. Yeah. I didn't see that tour. I just was like, this is, I mean, it just was, you know, the dynamic was weird. The fact that they would co-headline, I mean, I, I felt like, I don't know. I mean, it's so great that they've really, you know, even since then come back stronger and stronger as, as the, as the aughts kind of rolled on. That to me felt like kind of a low point in terms of their career. Uh, because I thought, do they need this? Do they need Aerosmith to, play arenas right now. I just didn't know, you know. I think they, I might, didn't know they might have. They might have. In a, in a weird way, I also felt a bit of uh, betrayal that uh, it wasn't a farewell in, in some weird way. Oh, definitely. I did too. I mean, as glad as I was that they came back, um, and, and as much as I respect and admire Tommy and Eric um, for just doing a bang-up job uh Filling, filling those boots. Um, you know, there's always going to be a part of me that says, um, I want to say goodbye to the original lineup. 
and then it, have it, it end. As 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 weird as this is gonna sound, I'm a big Star Trek fan, okay? But like I remember when Spock died in Wrath of Khan, which is like one of the greatest, you know, movies if you're into Star Trek at all. And I right, by the way, talk, talk about exactly talk exactly about, talk about crying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So so it was like, and then it's like, and two summers from now he'll be back, and it was like, oh, they're not doing this to me, you know what I mean? Because it was it was a very real thing as far as a real a, a movie can be. It was a very real thing, you know what I mean? I actually felt emotion, and of course Spock would be troubled by that, so that's a weird, ironic thing. But uh, yeah, so there was, you know, it it was great to see Kiss continue, and and as. Joe said, keep rolling back no matter what happens because it just keeps coming back, getting stronger all the time. But it was just kind of weird. It just it just, it didn't seem to have the momentum to me. And it, it's not that it was Peter Chris or Tommy Thayer or whatever. And, and, you know, some people have labeled me a Peter Bash, and I'm telling you folks, I don't even like to stub my toe. But I'm pumped. So anyway, the team won, won the Super Bowl, and then they lost all their star players, and they had to, like, kind of figure their way back. And I feel that that really started here but then really started on the rock the nation tour well i gotta say i mean i'll put in a plug for peter here the one thing about alive four that i thought was interesting is that they did come out and play things like going blind yes sure know something and i mean songs that you know they would later claim that you know the original guys didn't have the versatility to play things that weren't on the kind of standard set list that they put together since the reunion. But this kind of disputes that. I mean, just the fact that Peter, you know, was had the skills to learn how to play with that big symphony right. was testament to his adaptability as a musician. I mean, he certainly hadn't lost it or he certainly wasn't locked into anything. I mean, he got in there and he, you know, he was a musician. He did his, he did his gig and he did it well. I, I think one way to look at it is any time that any lineup that has called itself KISS, the actual band, any time they're all rowing in the same direction, they can't be beat. Yeah, and and that I thought 2003, no matter how weird it was, it felt like they, they were well-rested and kind of going down the same road. Now, what what ruins it a little bit in, in retrospect is is that one interview – you know, when, when everything, when the other shoe dropped and Peter was out, Eric was back in, er, you know, and Peter went on uh, Eddie Trunk's show and sort of spilled the beans, as it were. I feel like that colors everything in hindsight, particularly about, you know, his, his misgivings and whatnot about playing with Tommy, wearing Ace's makeup. i got to be honest. I don't, maybe one of you guys know. I, I don't even know the circumstances of Peter coming back for that tour for that show in Australia and that tour. I don't even know well, how in the world that happened. Well, here's what here's what's said, and we don't know the real story, right? What's said is that uh, it, it, was, it was intended to have all four original members at starting with Melbourne. Um, Ace wasn't interested or available or whatever. And the promoters may or may not have said we need at least two-thirds of the original band. Um, or, depending on who you ask, they intended to have Eric and Ace, and Ace wouldn't do it. But this is all, you know, third, fourth-hand information. 
And Brian, I know that it's late over on the East Coast and that you got a roll. Is there anything else that you, uh, you know, you wanted to touch on? You know, I'm thinking about <clears throat> thinking about you know feeling feeling a little betrayed about what happened after the farewell tour and and having mixed feelings about seeing different people up there and in familiar makeup. And I, you know, I had I had some of those feelings too a little bit, but I just I feel like that was that was a time in my life when I really needed that, and um, I cared less about exactly who was there doing what, and more that they were doing it. They were smiling and they looked like they were having a good time, and I always felt like some sincerity came across, and it was just it was a really important thing for me to have at that moment, and and uh, you know that that'll always supersede. You know who was wearing Ace's makeup, or who was wearing Peter's makeup, or whether or not the farewell tour was really the farewell tour, and that that means the most to me in retrospect. That is an excellent, excellent point. Yeah. yeah. I do have two questions I'd like to include Brian in before he goes. Um, first off, how do you rate the Alive's? And the other thing is, will there be an Alive Five? I think I would go in chronological order, to be honest. The uh, Alive, Alive being my favorite. Although I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck on three and four. I mean, I I I think I probably listened to three more overall, but I, I I guess I would probably have to go one, two, four, and then three. Because four is just has as as importance to me. Right, that's your alive. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. Right, that makes sense. And what do you think uh, is Ken right? Are we gonna? Are we going to not get another Alive record, but instead we're going to get a DVD? I would think so. Well, Brian, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Um, we got to have thanks you on a lot. again. It was fun. Yeah, we got to have you on again. Thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun. All right. Take care, guys. Now go learn how to be a doctor. Okay, Joe, what do you think? Uh, rate them one, one through four. Uh, that's, it's pretty easy. Two, uh, Kiss Alive 2, Kiss Alive, The Symphony, and Alive 3. Wow. That, that one, I didn't see that one coming. Okay, no. Gary, Gary, yours? Um, I think I'm going to go chronological on this. Yeah. And in, in chronological, and if we include the Millennium Concert then I will go chronological and in release order with uh, yeah, with Millennium being dead last. Well, to me, nothing will ever be better than Kiss Alive, period. Um, I would love to give Kiss Alive 2 more points, but I'm going to actually subtract points for Alive 2 side 4 because it's not alive. So I'm going to put Kiss Alive at 1, in second and third position, however you guys want to slice it, a tie between Kiss Alive 3 for having an amazing lineup that was kind of fresh and boom, new. Uh, I subtract points from Alive 2 for having the non-alive side 4, and then we go with Symphony. That's Although I have to say, uh, the side 4 of Kiss Alive 2 is amazing. About it's unbelievable. The other, you know, 
Uh, well, yeah, but it's about as live as the other three sides. The only thing missing is the audience. Oh, right. that hurts. Ouch. Oh, no, you didn't. No, oh, you... no, you didn't. Oh, Snap. Calling it like I see it. That's damn. all. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, it's a fantastic side. I, I'll tell you what. I could see them doing, if if they're going to do an Alive 5, if you're listening, Kiss, please pay attention. If you're going to do an Alive 5, because this, ha- this worked last time, right? I, I we, we were on podcast saying, you know, if they would only do a new studio record, and then they did one. So if you're going to do a, an Alive 5, I'd actually enjoy some new tracks on it, throw on a couple, you know, or a few studio tracks, and do like Joe was saying, give us stuff that we didn't have on the other Alive records. Obviously, give us stuff from Sonic Boom. Let's let's hear maybe Tears Are Falling or or some other, you know, what about like all the way? Crazy nights. Crazy nights. Absolutely. Anything you know that's fresh that makes it markedly different. Put those soldiers doing best. You know, there's one thing, one record you guys are kind of missing out or forgetting in this talking about all the live records, and it's actually really good for a lot of reasons, which is that that one that came out when the farewell tour, or not the farewell tour, the reunion tour kicked off. Uh, what was it called? You wanted the best, you got the best. Huh. Interesting. Same word. Has room service, two timer, uh, let me know, and then like cuts from a uh, take me, and then cuts from both the first two live records. If you just look at that as an album, that's kind of like an anthology of their first two live records. It's pretty damn good. I mean, I would give that to somebody as like, because not only because I love those other cuts that they put on there out, out of the quote unquote vault, but you know, right. it's a good, it's a good representation of those first two records. It's almost like the uh, the bastard child of the Alive albums. Yes. Yeah. And I'm really, I got to tell you guys, I'm really sitting here debating how much I, I want to be Ebenezer Scrooge about this, right? Because on on the one hand, if I really think back to the summer of 96, buying that record, uh, and just how excited I was that the reunion was on, and it was really happening. Um, I played the bejesus out of You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best. I thought that that was such a cool compilation. I think what spoils it for me is that you know, you're so obviously hearing new vocals on old tracks. Oh, for God's sake, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and I think that kind of I mean, that, that sort of puts a damper on it, and I don't know. Yeah, but you'd have had to have been used to it by then. I mean, Lord have mercy. But it was the first. But I think it was the first time that we heard that that kind of mix. I mean, it's one thing when you have, you know, Paul Paul on lead vocals, and then five different Pauls on backup when you're listening to Kiss Alive too. But but when you have 96. 1996 Paul singing over 1975 Kiss. It's just a little. It it takes it down a notch for me. Well, I'll say this much. Back in 1978, when when Kiss Alive 2 came out, I did not hear five different Pauls. I was a young kid, you know, and I was just enjoying the hell out of it. Oh sure. Yeah. So as an adult. We we can peek through that curtain and see that, you know, the wizard behind there is just a guy from Kansas. So, right. Well, I want to I want to make up for my earlier cynicism about the farewell tour. I mean, it, it, although I didn't, I, I might have shed a tear when they 
did get, you know, on the Unplugged show, when they did get together, four of them, and, you know, you know, they're all four kind of sitting on the stools together doing Beth, which was a, just a, ver- a very valid arrangement, and, you know, with Ace doing the solo, and they were, and it was not, no makeup, no bombast, and it really, they're, you know, you're like, wow, they're, they're, they're sitting there, there's all four of them sitting there together playing this song, and it kind of transcended, that was the moment for me where it transcended the, the makeup and, you know, the sort of the spectacle of Kiss, where it was just like, man, this is, these are our Beatles, and they're getting back together. You know, and, oh, and of course no there was question. no, there was no reunion tour that we knew of at the time when that first aired on MTV. I just sat there and went, man, this is, you know, I mean, it was hit me probably like, probably like it hit Ken. I mean, we were just the right age for that reunion tour to mean something, you know, because I was 25, 26 and, you know, it was just like perfect timing for the age that I was at, you know, just like how Brian was talking about that, you know, summer of 2003, that summer of 1996 was that for me where it was just like, you just didn't even know how much it meant to you and you know, until it came back. You know? Oh, absolutely. And I didn't get to experience, you know, the original kiss when they were the original kiss originally, but I just remember Peter Chris holding his arms out, you know, when they did that, that one line and Beth and, the waterworks just came and then I also remember them when they started 2000 man and I remember waiting almost like with my I couldn't breathe like I was holding my breath for them to to kick into the part you know you know my wife still respects me like when they would start and everybody would play together because up at that up to that point it was just the kick drum or whatever and a singing but they weren't all playing together yet you know, and once that song kicked in, I was like, well, that's it. They really are playing together again. Yeah. And it was, yeah, breathtaking. Just an incredible But that, song. that is a discussion for another podcast. Very good. You're right. Uh, See how I led you into that segue? Well, mm. are you, Joe, you'll come back for that discussion, I hope. Of course. Awesome. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be an unplugged discussion without you, Joe. Kiss Alive 4, the symphony, is a great record. Actually, side one has my favorite KISS live recording of all time, and that's Strutter. Um, I think Paul's voice had never sounded better. The band was tight. Strutter from KISS Alive 4 is my absolute favorite KISS live recording of all time. Uh, Peter Chris played great here. Tommy was great, and great uh, introduction to the band for him. The first, uh, first act was great. The second act was my absolute favorite, the acoustic with the ensemble. Getting to hear Forever, Going Blind, Shandy, Sure Knows Something. Getting to hear these songs that you don't usually get to hear was a real treat. The symphony did exactly what you expected them to do. They basically just played the rhythm of the song. Uh, I would like to have heard more experimental use of the symphony. Something more like Metallica did with their S&M album. However, they did do Great Expectations, which they had never done live, and that was a real treat. One thing I can say about the Symphony album is it always kind of um, shoots down a theory we've all heard for years, and that's that the set list was stagnant for so long because of Peter Chris. If you uh, listen to the Symphony record, there are so many songs on there that Peter had never played before that he pulled off at the Symphony show. Forever, Sure Knows Something, Shandy, Great Expectations. Peter Chris really came through on these songs, and the set list was had the usual suspects, but also, of course, had the rarities, and 
proves that Peter could have handled something a little different than what we got for so many years. The Millennium Concert was supposed to be coming out in, I think, April of 2000, which I was just becoming a huge KISS fan around that time, and I kept waiting for what was billed as a live four. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and it never, ever happened. And For years, I was so disappointed, and when they announced that they were doing the Alive box set and that the Millennium Concert would be a part of that, I was ecstatic. I was absolutely just ready to hear this. And when I ripped the package open and put the disc on, it was another disappointment. Um, honestly, it's possibly my least favorite album in the KISS catalog. Um, it's very... It's definitely not a live album. It's a studio album. The songs are played way too slowly for me, uh, with not with, not with a lot of feeling. I mean, they really feel very sterile. They don't feel like the kiss that I know and love. Um, one thing I am happy that is that, to my ear, it is Ace and Peter on the record. Um, I, I know some folks were scared that maybe Tommy would do some of Ace's parts or whatever, but from what I can tell, it's all Ace and Peter. Um, just not my favorite record. Um probably never will be. I don't listen to it often, but I am glad that it saw the light of day so I didn't, you know, spend the rest of my life wondering. It's just not something I'm going to listen to. I do want to talk briefly about the Millennium Concert because KISS made it an afterthought, and I guess we will too, right? That's how they treated it. It was tagged on as kind of a bonus disc in a very cool box set, I might add. Excellent box set. Right. But here it is, you know, years later, and, and they finally released this thing. What do you think? I'm glad I have it. If it, if it wasn't released, I would have uh, fought heaven and earth to get it. Like, this is, I don't want to go off into a big thing, but you guys remember that Live in Las Vegas DVD? Oh, God. Okay. Here's here's the thing. A lot of people complain about that on message boards. But I'm going to tell you guys something right now. If that wasn't available that you could like go buy it at uh for 6.99 at deep discount, you know what I mean, DVD, we would be bootlegging that thing and trying to get it. So that's how I feel about the Millennium thing. I'm glad I have it. I'm glad I didn't have to work too hard to get it. But it's dreadfully slow, but I'm glad I have it. Right. Joe. I'd kind of I'd kind of agree with that assessment. I mean, it's I was curious when it finally was going to come out. It's like you know, because you're curious why it didn't come out in the first place. I mean, it was just if you know, it was it's kind of like a live three. If you saw them on the Revenge tour, a live three was probably the perfect souvenir. You know, for better or worse, depending on your taste. And I feel the same way about that Millennium concert. If you saw them on the on the farewell tour. This is a good souvenir, for better or worse. It's that's with what they were doing. It's how they sounded, and how they came across. You know, I mean, it, it sounds, you know, a little tired, like Night of the Living Kiss. A little wariness in there, I think. But yeah, but but again, I agree with Ken. I mean, I'm glad we can have it. It's a document that we can listen to, and you know, it's 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 part of the big tapestry. So I think what pisses me off about it is that in 1999, they, they put out that live EP that was like a bonus if, for some foreign version of Psycho Circus, and they sounded awesome. It, it sounds very live. It sounds very genuine. That lineup was inconsistent live, you know? In the, on yeah, they the, were. 
But but you know what? They, they weren't that bad. And it wasn't even that, that no. when you listen to Millennium, it's not even that they're hitting bum notes or not singing on key. It's just that they sound lethargic. It's, it's like their heart's not in it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't think any, I don't think there was any real charge. I mean, conceptually on paper, you're like, this is interesting. But you know, hearing the original guys doing, you know, Heaven's on Fire and I Love It Loud and Lick It Up, it just didn't really work. Didn't really work out at all to me. Uh, it's one of those moments. I mean, and you never think you're going to get to this point. Every, you know, after wanting the reunion so badly, that to hear Peter Chris do the, you know, do I love it loud. And you just go, my God, it's, it, it did have everything to do with Eric Carr. Hmm. Right. You know, that song in particular, I was like, Oh man, this is, this is hard to listen to. I mean, when you go to, the, you know, the farewell tour, it comes and goes. And, you know, when it's live, it's, it's, you know, you're in the moment, but when you hear it on, you know, record, you know, for all time, you can really just go. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if they should have done that. You know? it, sound, it sounds so much better on the uh, if you listen to or watch the 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 final, the last kiss thing, the Meadowlands show that, that I was at that that's on Kissology. Um, man, it sounds gosh, so much. It's like night and day though. They sound so much better. So much energy. So much fun compared to that uh, sleeping pill that they must have taken before recording. Well. I think you just answered your question as to why it was not released. Well, it's not, and and here's the other thing from you know from sort of an inside baseball kind of point of view. You know, alive, alive two, alive three. You have Eddie Kramer. I don't remember who produced Alive Four. This re- album has no producer. Yeah. And you know, live or not, I mean, even a live album needs a producer that has a vision for the cohesion of the record, how it's going to sound. What works, what doesn't work. This album, there's no producer listed on this record. Chances are, if it weren't part of the box set, the Alive box set, we we probably wouldn't have seen it. And I mean, the fact that not even produced by Kiss, you know. I mean, what what is that? It's like nobody wants their hands on it. <laughs> I wash my hands of this Kiss Alive album. But but th- it's more to the point that you know a producer gets a fee. I mean, a producer gets paid on a record. So even, you know... And a credit. Yeah, but even, you know, you would think that even Gene and Paul would have taken that credit and gotten that fee or been able to defer that fee. You know, in hindsight, I should have done that. That's very good, Joe. I should have... (laughs) I'll make sure that never happens again. Well, it says Bill Levinson produced the the box. Right. And I don't know if he's someone who, who like, sort of did whatever needed to be done to to get the... um, I guess we're just going to have to have him on the podcast, aren't we? There you go. I'm sure that guy would be happy to talk to you. Podcast update. When we tried to find out exactly who Bill Levison was, there was no address. (laughs) So everybody go buy the Kiss Alive box set in summation. Yeah. You won't be sorry. So, Joe, what are you working on? What should we look for? Um... You know, Ben Tent's still on the air. Generator Rex is on the air now and doing well. And next year, myself and my Man of Action Studios partners are we're, we signed on as supervising producers of the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man animated show. So that'll be, um, I guess, next fall, maybe. What's the continuity uh, have, on, the, on the Spider-Man? 
it's a brand new, I mean, it's sort of classic Spider-Man and, and, and uh, there's a few surprises. We're kind of non-disclosure agreements uh, keep me from really telling you what it's going to be, but it's going to be very cool and, and nothing that you've seen before. And even from, uh, you know, style of animation to, cool. you know, storylines and characters, it's going to be very cool. Is it cell or CGI? Uh, no, it'll be, I, yeah, I can't say. Okay. Okay. And of course you're doing the Avengers and, uh, Superman and Batman world's finest, right? Uh, I did, I finished those runs on those things right now. Comic book wise, I'm sort of in creator own land. I've got a bunch of stuff coming out through image comics. that will be rolling out over the course of the, of the year. So keep an eye out folks. Well, thank you for being part of this. We got to do this again when we talk about, uh, the Unplugged Tour and the Unplugged Record. I love doing this, man. I can't wait to do the next one. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkist.com. If uh, you have any suggestions, comments, or just want to talk to us, drop us a line at podkist at gmail.com. Be sure to check out James's other site, which is called zombiefaq.com. For all you white zombie fans, it's the place to be. A big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com. Big thanks to all of our pals at mykisslife.net. Keith LaRue and all the staff over at kissonline.com. They do a great job representing the hottest band in the land. If you have a kiss-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh, possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out Kiss Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Crisp, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are Kiss, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.